the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. It's Tuesday. It's 4 o'clock. You're listening to AM 630 The Word. And that means I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh. And we're here to take your phone calls and answer your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I want to remind you, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and everything else will be hands free and you will be safe, which is the way we want it. It's Tuesday, so I don't have anything to, to really go over before we get to questions. Just one thing. I asked you for prayer uh, yesterday for our 6 o'clock meeting with the Universal City Planning and Zoning Commission. Um, I appreciate your prayers. It went fabulous. It went better than we could have expected. Um, all eyes, no nays. Uh, and so we are all set. There's only one more hurdle, and that hurdle is uh, a week from today. Uh, the city council meeting uh, has to vote on and approve all of the things the Planning and Zoning Commission approved yesterday. And if we get that vote yesterday, then we will be ready to move into our new building. Not ready to move into it, but we'll we'll finalize the deal on it, and uh, and we can start getting it ready to to move in. So thank you very very much. And again, if you don't mind praying between now and next Tuesday uh, so that nothing goes wrong. It just went really, really well, and I'm grateful. Okay, let me get to some questions, and then we'll see where you go. I've got a couple of questions from uh, Stacy. Um, first, she says about Romans 20, uh, I'm sorry, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Uh, she wants to know, does this passage also apply to when we don't know how to pray or when our prayers seem so repetitive or robotic 
Um, an example is praying for a prodigal who rejects Christ. Let me read the verse, Stacy, and then we'll get to it. Um, Romans eight twenty six says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Um, Stacy, I think you're on the right track here. Um, it's not necessarily what we, we don't know what to pray, but um, you know to, to to understand. And and by the way, this is one of the the areas that I use the gift of tongues for. Now there are times when, as you said, I just don't know what to pray, or I've said the same thing. Uh, and I, I just feel like I want to go into a deeper place, and the gift of tongues is for that. But yes, uh, this this is the confidence that we can have for sure, is that when we don't know what to pray, we just cry out to the Spirit of God. And sometimes it's through tears, sometimes through groaning, sometimes it's just noise. Um, the Spirit of God is interceding on our behalf, and of course, the Spirit of God is always going to intercede for us in the perfect will of God. So this is just one of those things where when we are praying, uh, we can know that we are praying in the will of God. And Stacy, for me personally, um, this is when I use the gift of tongues the most often uh, in my relationship with the Lord. So it's a good question. You are on the right track. She has another question. It's from Romans 11, verses 20 and 21. Uh, These verses say, um, Granted, but they were broken off because of unbelief, talking about Israel. And you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but be afraid. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. And here's her question. She says, often my prodigal says, once saved, always saved. But my prodigal, who did make a profession of faith in youth and raised and was raised in a Christian home, does not exhibit any fruit. The above scripture is eloquently direct. Is this scripture to share with someone who thinks they're saved? Um, you know, there's a lot of scriptures, Stacy, to share. This is just one of them. And... Um, you know, verse 21 uh, is important. Um, the, the the idea that, that God cut his own people off, his covenant people. Now, we're not talking about the nation. God's never broken his covenant promise to Israel, but individual Jews, and they are the natural branches. And, and basically, Paul is telling them, uh, and this is at the end of his section, chapters 9, 10, and 11, the end of his section dealing with Israel. He's just saying now to Gentiles, they got cut off, so don't you be arrogant, because if you are, God won't spare you either. The man or the woman who says, well, you know, I answered an altar call, or I got saved, or I was baptized, or I was raised in a Christian home, uh, none of that matters, because none of it saves anyone. What saves us is our obedience, our surrender to uh, Jesus Christ. Um, I like a couple of verses better than this one, Stacy. One is is uh, when Jesus said, My sheep know my voice, I call them by name, and they follow me. And I would ask my prodigal, well, it doesn't appear that you're following him. Jesus never calls us uh, to to anything other than to follow him. That's what discipleship really is. 
And if uh, they're not following Jesus, well, then, frankly, uh, there's no evidence to suggest that um, they're 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 have a relationship with Jesus Christ at all. I also like First Corinthians chapter six and Galatians chapter five. Um, in both places, there's a list of sinful lifestyles, and uh, the, the the Apostle Paul is very direct in both of those lifestyles. Uh, he says, "Look, if you live like this, and there's a whole long list of stuff. If you live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God." Um, those are always dishonest responses. People who are sinning, they know they're sinning. Um, they don't want to stop sinning, uh, and they want to give you the veneer of being saved. Um, there's nothing you can do with that verse. These, Those two verses, people who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Ephesians chapter 4 also has a similar passage in it. So there's a lot of passages there. Um, there's one more. Uh, Jesus said um, that many will say to me on that day, that's the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, and he will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. So salvation isn't a statement. Salvation isn't an action. Salvation occurs by believing in and following Jesus Christ. So, Stacey, those are the ones I prefer rather than the Romans question. And then she has one more. I thought she had two. She has three. Um, she says, I'm reviewing Leviticus chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. No, I'm sorry, I'm reading, I'm reading this wrong. Uh, she's reviewing Leviticus 2. Um, yeah, 1 through 3 and verse 17. I'm having a hard time seeing I'm sorry. Chapter 3, uh, verse 17. Um, then she says, do Jews sacrifice today? Uh, blood or grain offerings, um, do they see that grace demands more from us than the law? If they don't see that Christ is the Messiah, how do they follow the law today? It would seem that they would still be following the Old Testament ways. Um, Stacey, the, the, the Jews today, um, they don't care about the law. They don't, they're, they're not saved. Um, the law simply points out their guilt. And they go through religious motions, which is not at all unusual for those um, who, who um, you know, find their security in their religious affiliation. Um, um, they want to do things and try to justify themselves before God. So the truth is they don't really think about the law in, in the sense that uh, we're going to offer sacrifices um, Leviticus is is foreign to uh, modern Jews. Uh, even the sacrifices for sins, even the most holy day, the Day of Atonement, uh, because sacrifices have not been practiced since 70 A.D., um, since those sacrifices have been offered, you ask them, well, what are you doing for your sins? They said, well, we reflect on our sins. And I had it described to me by one practicing Jew. He said, it's sort of like we reflect on them and then we cast them into the sea figuratively. That's what we do, and that wipes away our sins. But the truth is that it doesn't. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. The Bible is very clear. So, um, say, see, they don't worry. Religious people typically do not worry uh, about anything because they're going to find some way to make up for it, at least in their own heart and mind. We know that Jesus is the only way. Stacey, thank you for the questions. I appreciate it. Let's go to Cindy holding on line one. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. 
I, I have a question that I wish I could take credit for thinking about it, but I can't because somebody <laughs> after last Wednesday uh, came up with it. And when when the Jews did the the uh, grain offering, and they made their I guess flatbread or something, and they were told not to add honey, no sweetener to it. But then they were told that they were going to be given a land with milk and honey, filled with milk and honey. And I wondered if you'd kind of talk about that. And I just want to say that Wednesdays are are just, I I didn't think anybody could make Leviticus sound good, but you're doing a really great job of making it very interesting and very life, uh, like we could use it in our lives today. So I've, I've just been really enjoying it. And I'm going to leave you with this, and I'll get off the phone and listen on the radio. Bye. Thank you. Thank you very much, Cindy. You know, we've only had two studies in Leviticus, and uh, so give me time. I'll, I'll make it boring, I promise you. Um, C- Cindy, the, the, the picture there was of the, of the no honey uh, and no yeast. Of course, yeast in the Old Testament is a, uh, a type of sin. And um, Paul talks about it. Jesus talked about it. Um, it it's just something that that uh, Jews would understand was sin. That's why they're on their Passover um, uh, celebrations. They they had to make bread without yeast and all those things. The fellowship offerings the same way. Now the 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 grain offering had to be ground to fine flour. The idea is it's a picture of we've got to come to the end of ourselves. We've got to kill the old self. And uh, not only did God not want any yeast in it, but he also didn't want honey. And the idea of the honey there, it's sort of an artificial sweetener. And, you know, dealing with our sins is not supposed to be sweet. It's, it's, it's an absolute battle. So it's not supposed to be sweet at all. Now, in contrast, when God promised him a land flowing with milk and honey, there's nothing intrinsically wrong with honey. It's just that the, uh, the honey wasn't to be a part of those particular grain offerings. But, but uh, a land flowing with milk and honey is, is a, a picture of a land of promise, a land of, of richness and uh, satisfaction. And so that's what um, uh, God was promising them. And those two things aren't connected at all. Again, there's nothing wrong with honey. Remember that Samson, um, the, the honey he went after was sinful because it was in the carcass of a dead lion and Samson wasn't supposed to touch anything like that. But we also remember that Jonathan uh, went and got some honey uh, and and uh, and and uh, you know he, he aided in defiance of his father's rules, but then he got strength from it, and and uh, Saul and the others, of course, were criticized for not eating it. So there's honey in and of itself isn't honey is the most natural food and and most natural energy uh, food that you're going to find on this planet. It gives you instant response. Uh, so there's nothing at all wrong with honey. It's just in the context of the offering, it was forbidden. Thank you, Cindy. I appreciate it. And I always tell you, you're too kind to me. Thank you very, very much. Here is a question. This one is from Anonymous from our email inbox. And he, uh, he or she says, a friend of mine and I were talking after work about pastors. He told me that the reason that only men can be pastors is because Jesus only chose male disciples. Is that true? No, that's not true. Um, Jesus chose male disciples. We have to remember that Jesus only 
did and said what he saw his father do and heard his father say. So when Jesus would go out on the mountain and pray overnight, um, in one instance, he was out there asking uh, the Father or getting directions from the Father uh, to select his disciples, and, and God gave him two uh, or 12 men uh, who's, who were their disciples, and he called them one by one uh, to himself. So uh, that's not why men can't be pastors. From the beginning in our Bibles, leadership in the the uh, perspective of God, has been always masculine, always male. Um, he says in First uh, Timothy that it was Eve who was deceived, um, not Adam. And because Eve was deceived, women can't be pastors. Um, that's a consequence of the sin. Uh, that prohibition against women pastors says nothing about the spirituality of the women, nor the comparative skills or talents of men and women. Uh, it doesn't say anything about God thinking more of men and less of women. It says none of that. It's simply a consequence of the fall. And since the fall can't be changed, when we try to violate that, um, um, well, what we're basically saying is, God, you gave us these rules. The church is yours. I'm your servant, but I'm not going to obey you because uh, I think women should be able to be pastors. And um, um, it's strictly God's plan from the beginning. And if you want to know why, remember what Corinthians says. God chose the foolish things of the world to shame or to confound the wise. And uh, I can tell you, we got a lot of women in this church, anonymous, who would do a better job at pastoring my church than 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 I would or than I have. But God says, no, the men are the leaders, must be the husband of one wife, and say, or the wife of one husband. It's male, period, and that's leadership, and that's the reason. And Jesus chose male disciples because that's exactly what his father told him to do. And obviously in the culture, men uh, had much more responsibility and, 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 and many more rights than women did. Uh, but uh, this was uh, the plan of God all along. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Trinity. She said, how do you remember scriptures? I seem to forget them all the time. Trinity, welcome to the rest of the world. It's okay. You put them in, and the Holy Spirit will bring them out when you need them. Now, I'm going to tell on myself here. Uh, I'm not a great scripture rememberer, at least as it relates to chapter and verse. I find my mind gets kind of caught up. Is it 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians? Is it uh, 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy? I find, especially in those books with with, uh, one and two parts, uh, I find it difficult. Um, And the way I remember scriptures is simple. It's by constant use. That's all. Constant use. I so envy people with a memory that can say, oh yeah, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 5. Um, and, and they know exactly what it is or, or what the address is. I don't remember. I honestly don't think it's important to remember the scripture, the chapters and verse um, 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 addresses uh, are not inspired by God. I don't think they matter. What I try to do, Tiffany, or I'm sorry, Trinity, is to uh, make sure 
that my um, uh, when I'm talking, my speech is is full of Bible verses. So I don't have to say, well, it says here. I can just use the Bible verse and let the Holy Spirit run with it. But the verses that I remember and the, the scriptures that I remember, I remember them simply from constant use. I never could have been an actor, Trinity, because to look at lines and just memorize them by rote, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And so uh, I think what we need to do is just constantly use them, get familiar with them, and believe me, the Holy Spirit will bring them out to us uh, when we need them. And... Uh, Paula sort of, I never would have thought of doing this, but every once in a while I'll say, uh, uh, where's the scripture? And she'll say, um, hey, Siri, where is the scripture that says, and, and of course, Siri will give it to you right away. But I think remembering the scripture itself is much more important than the, the chapter and verse, remembering that. But just constant use, constant use. And that's what works for me. Paul says, should we be praying for people to get delivered from demonic spirits or spirits of lust or spirits of cancer, uh, etc.? Um, Paul, we've already been delivered. This is one of my um, pet peeves here. People say, well, a, I'm a spirit of lust or a spirit of cancer. No, you don't. There's no such thing. There's two spirits. There's the Spirit of God, and then there's the Spirit of the anti-God. That's all. And those spirits uh, are fighting for control of our lives. And the Spirit to whom we surrender is the one that wins on any particular day. So no, we shouldn't be praying for people to be delivered from demonic spirits, unless, of course, we know that they are demon-possessed. And, of course, Christians can do that. But these other kind of uh, deliverance ministries, spirits of nicotine, spirits of uh, alcohol, spirits of lust, those kind of things, they simply don't exist. And uh, that demonstrates uh, our relative immaturity um, as it relates to the things of the word. So, Paul, uh, pray for people all the time, but you don't need to be praying for things that don't exist. There's no value in that at all. Mikey says, do we still follow the qualifications for pastors and elders in 1 Timothy and Titus? Um, this is Mikey, not Mickey. I'm sorry, Mikey. Um, yeah, we do. Um, but we, we understand, first of all, as, as we look at our, Old, or our New Testament, the elders, that was what we call pastors. So it's the same um, office. And we do follow those scriptures. Uh, let me read them so you understand. Here's a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. In other words, if, if God puts it in your heart to be a pastor and you say, Lord, that's what I want to do, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. And here are the qualifications. Now, an overseer, and that's just, again, the pastor, must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, able to, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. Uh, he must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment 
as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Now, Mikey, that is a lot, but let me just talk about a couple of these things. First of all, being above reproach, that doesn't mean we're perfect. That means we live our lives out in the open and uh, we're not going to shock anybody by our behavior. We don't have to have secrets. We don't have to uh, close our computers really quickly when somebody comes in the room. We're living our lives above board. That's what it means to be above reproach. When it says the husband but one wife, that doesn't mean a divorced person or a single person cannot be a pastor. It means that we're committed. Literally, in the Greek, this is a one-woman man and that's somebody who um, is is uh, honors their wife, uh, somebody whose marriage is uh, consistent uh, and loving. Um, the, the wife respects the husband, um, those kind of things. Uh, it does not, again, disqualify men who have been divorced. If somebody has been divorced with biblical reasons, then there's no prohibition against them being a pastor. If somebody was divorced before they got saved, well, of course, the old is gone, the new has come. The other things are just tempered or moderate, self-controlled, somebody that practices self-controlled. Uh, you don't want a pastor who's not hospitable. Uh, being able to teach is a requirement of, of the pastoral roles. Jesus said to Peter, uh, feed my sheep, tend my flock, sh- feed my sheep, and, and we feed with the word of God. And then we can't be drunks. We can't, uh, uh, we, we've got to control ourselves, um, not violent. Uh, we don't want to be arguers, and too many pastors are. Uh, and then he's got to take his faith and, and live it at home, Mikey. Uh, his his uh, children have to respect him. That doesn't mean that his children have to be believers. Uh, we can't control what anybody else does, but we live our lives at home in such a way that Jesus is honored and it's consistent and disobedience is discipline and those kind of things. So yes, we still go by those standards. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left on our Tuesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'll be back in two minutes. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back from the fastest two minutes of the week. I'm Ron Arbaugh, pastor of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the word to stand on for life. We love your calls and questions. Here is a question from Daryl. And Daryl, you're going to put me in the hot seat here because people get mad at me when I talk about this. Daryl says, Pastor Ron, I still don't feel comfortable taking communion in church because of COVID. Am I sinning? And I assume that he means am I sinning by not uh, partaking of communion? Daryl, communion is something that we um, ought to be thrilled about taking. We ought to be thrilled about taking. Now, you can take communion at home, um, but, but th- this is not um, an optional part of our, our, our walk with Jesus. Um, sharing in the bread, remembering uh, the work that was done for us on the cross, remembering also that Jesus is coming again for us. Um, 
that he took the punishment for our sins and that it's his death that allows us to live. So communion isn't an option. And I'm going to tell you, Daryl, suck it up. Uh, partake of communion. Now, I don't know what kind of a church you're in. If you are going to a Catholic church, and uh, I don't think they're anymore doing it out of the same cup. Um, but, um, you know, here's what we need to do. Now, here's where I'm going to get in trouble. We who are believers, we should be over this by now. We should be so over fear of COVID by now. COVID is a fact of life. It's not going away. And we can choose to live our lives in fear, or we can choose to be obedient to the Lord and serve him, however form that might take. We need to be over this. And it's that simple. People say, well, what about older people and and, and they're more vulnerable? Uh, I'm an older person. And I don't want to spend the last years of my life being afraid. I just don't. Um, It is clear, Daryl, and this is not a political statement. I am not a conspiracy person at all. But it is clear that we were sold a bad bill of goods when it comes to COVID. And people were terrified. And all we had to do is just hang on a little bit and we find out that all of the horror stories all of the scare tactics um, it wasn't going to be that way at all and so what we need to do is we need to say Lord I'm going to live for you I'm not going to let fear keep me away from communion in this case I'm not going to let fear keep me from crowds Uh, I'm going to be out telling people about Jesus sharing my faith I'm not going to stay home from church and watch it online because, after all, there's still people that could transmit COVID in church. We're called to be a part of the body of Christ. We're called to use the gifts that God has given us for others. And when we let fear win us over, then we become immobile in our service for the Lord. And the enemy is going to pick us off. And he's got so many people, Daryl, still, after all this time, still paralyzed with fear. And I want you to think about it again. If Jesus is coming soon, as I believe he is, if Jesus is coming soon, shouldn't we be about our Father's business? Even Jesus didn't want to go to the cross. He went obediently. Shouldn't we be men and women by now who say, Lord, forgive me for being afraid. Forgive me for being overcome with worry. Now, Lord, all I want to do is spend whatever time I have left serving you with all of my heart. And I know that people who are afraid, Daryl, and, and uh, you're one of those people, um... It's just something you have to deal with. Take it, take it before the Lord. Jesus said, "Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest." Jesus is asking you to trust Him. That doesn't mean that you're not going to get COVID. I've had COVID, I think, three times, and um, um, I simply wasn't going to let that keep me from doing what God has called and gifted me to do. And Daryl, what's really the tragedy here? is that you're missing out on so much. You're missing out. 
By now, we ought not to be wearing masks. By now, we ought to be sharing the joy of the Lord. By now, our lights ought to be shining before those who are fearful still. Our lights ought to be shining to such a degree that they can see something in us that they they don't have something they're missing. And so we need to do this. We've got to get over this, Daryl. We've got to get over this. I'll stop there before I get in trouble. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Dan says, what does it mean to feel God's presence? I don't experience any feeling like so many others do. Dan, um, feeling feelings are, are, are so unreliable. Um, there are times, and I'll just be as direct as I can, there are times when um, I can palpably feel the presence of God. Uh, but that doesn't happen often. You know, we're not to walk by feeling. We're to walk by faith. And the idea is God's presence is promised to us. And I think when we accept by faith that Jesus has said, I will never leave you or forsake you, it means that we're not going through anything on our own, that he's always there. He said he would be with us even to the end of the age. We don't have to feel his presence to benefit from that promise. So uh, I think sometimes, Dan, it means people get goosebumps and they think, well, that's God speaking to me. Um, God's not in the goosebumps. I think other times um, people look for other uh, Christians to confirm stuff. Oh, God's presence. You confirmed it for me. No, God wants to teach us all to grow up and walk by faith. And to do that, you've got to trust in his word. The promises in his word are for you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8 says that. If you really believe that, then you are going to experience the presence of God. And the idea that we have some experience. Now, there are times when there are experiences. I mentioned, I think on the program yesterday, maybe it was Friday, Dan, that uh, I've had um, uh, sometimes, I don't know how many times, 30, 40 times, just guessing, uh, where I knew God was speaking in my heart. I knew it so clearly. I didn't need my Bible there. God was right there. And, um, and, and, and I like those experiences. But those experiences aren't necessary for me to keep walking after God, to keep doing what God has asked me to do. And so um, feeling God's presence is sort of overrated. It's nice when it happens, but it's just not something that is necessary in order to know that we're walking with the Lord. One other thing I want to comment on, in our experience-oriented Christian culture, Dan, there's a lot of people that frankly make up stories about experiencing feelings uh, the presence of God, uh, hearing the voice of God, those kind of things. Um, um, people don't hear the audible voice of God. They just don't. If they hear an audible voice, it's the enemy shouting at them. And I can promise you that the people that say, well, I've heard the audible voice of God and God and told me to do this, do this those things didn't work out. That That's a counterfeit experience. We're to test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. Now, God can speak to us so clearly that it is as though he spoke audibly. But if we were to hear the audible voice of God, we would absolutely be crispy critters because of his holiness. So 
don't worry about the fact that you're not getting goosebumps. Don't worry about the fact that you know what it feels like to be with Jesus. Here's what you do. You get so close to Jesus that you can't imagine not being with him. And you'll always know he's there. And I think when we walk by faith instead of by feelings or emotions, I think, Dan, at that point, God is so pleased with us. It's like you're growing, you're, you're maturing, you're, you're trusting me. And that is the most certain way that we can experience the presence of the Lord. Here's a question from Annie. Um, she says, I struggle with all kinds of emotional and abandonment issues. My walk with Jesus is inconsistent because of it, and God hasn't helped me. What can I do? Annie, um, um, with just a few sentences in uh, a, a question, uh, I can't deal with your emotional and abandonment issues. I can tell you this, that God said he would never leave you or forsake you. Do you believe that? You know, every other promise Jesus made, he's kept perfectly. So the problem is not with him. The problem is with you. He will never abandon you. Um, whatever your emotional issues are, he will give you stability and, and the peace of God in those situations. But that can't happen unless you actually believe those promises. And any, it would appear to me as though you don't really believe them based on how you feel. So don't worry about what's happened in the past. Do you believe Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone's in Christ, she in this case is a new creation, the old is gone, the new has come. I tell my people here all the time, uh, Annie, that their past, no matter how awful it was, need not burden their walk with Jesus one more minute of one more day. All we have to do is make a decision by faith based on the promises in God's word. All we have to do is stay close to Jesus. And we will never feel alone. We will never um, um, feel like there's a danger of him abandoning us. I mean, he's the one that went to the cross and took the punishment that you deserve. How much more? Will he bless your life, a life of obedience, a life of surrender? So here's what God would tell you today, Annie, and I'm not God, but using the word of God. He would tell you, let's put all the old behind us and start walking anew every day. How do you do it? You ask for help. You surrender first thing every morning to the Lord. I still do that after my 32 years walking with Jesus. The first thing I do is say, Lord, thank you for waking me up. Thank you for the night of sleep that I got. Uh, and now, Lord, today of my own free will, I choose to serve Jesus. Do that, Annie, and your walk will be consistent rather than inconsistent. Every time, and the enemy's not going to give up easy, every time he keeps pushing those old replay buttons in your mind, and in your heart, and that's where the emotions come from, in the heart, um, recognize that that's an enemy who's trying to, to make your walk with Jesus less fruitful. He, he wants to destroy you, um, and, and God, God has promised you that can't happen. So take those thoughts captive 
and exchange them for what you know the Word of God says. Now, Annie, I'm assuming that you're in the Word. Um, if you're not in the Word, then the enemy is going to keep pounding. Um, when I was a little kid, I had a, a little big blow-up clown, and you'd punch it, and it'd keep coming back up, and it had a round bottom. Well, that's what the enemy does to us. He just keeps punching us. And and if we're not fighting, if we're not in the Word, if we're not uh, engaging the spiritual battles, we're just like that punching bag. We just keep coming back for more and for more and for more. And um, um, the thing is, you got to know the Word. you got to hold on to the promises. Remember, Jesus' track record is exceptional. He's not ever broken a single promise. And when you um, are being attacked by an enemy... Um, take those thoughts captive and exchange those thoughts for the thoughts of the things of God and in particular the Word of God. So Annie, stop struggling. Put all of those emotional issues, the abandonment issues, put them all behind you because it no longer matters what people have done to you. What matters now is Jesus and his track record in your life. And Annie, I'm going to tell you something else. It is that simple. It really is. It's a decision. A decision based on fact. A decision based on the Word of God and the promises of God. It has nothing whatsoever to do with your feelings. All you need to do when those feelings come, you've got to take them captive. You've got to fight so the enemy won't destroy. Annie, I hope that helps. And by the way, you're not alone. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, lots of people struggle with those issues. I just don't think God wants you to struggle with them any longer. Oliver says, who were Janus and Jambres in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8? Um, Oliver, we, we don't know for sure um, because they weren't identified in the book of Exodus, but Jewish tradition has always held that Janus and Jambres were the names of the uh, magicians uh, in Pharaoh's court who duplicated some of the miracles, uh, the water turning to blood, um, the serpent on the ground, the staff turning into a serpent. Uh, So tradition, Jewish traditionals, that that was their names, and it seems as though that tradition uh, was accepted um, by uh, Paul, or at least referred to by Paul in Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. Um, there are people that will say, we can't know for sure who they were, but I, I think at least based on Paul using them, uh, I think that uh, we can make a pretty good guess that that was their name. Three four zero ninety five eighty five or toll free eight seven seven six three zero KSLR Yancey says, Pastor Ron, when I hang out with friends who use bad language and talk about sinful things, am I responsible to call them out? Yancey, let me let me take you back one notch, okay? Stop hanging out with people who use really bad language and talk about sinful things. Then you don't have to worry about calling them out. You have to worry about anything else. 
tell them, if these are friends, tell them, you know what, I'm not going to hang with people that, that talk like you. I'm not going to hang with people who use the language that you use. Uh, and when you do bad things, I, don't, I have no interest in those things because I am a proud Christian. And so tell them, if you want to hang out with me, you got to behave better. Paul writes that bad company corrupts good character. So stop hanging out with them. Now, in terms of confronting them, or you use the phrase calling them out, um, don't call them out. Just give them the gospel. Just say, you know, if you, if you love Jesus, you wouldn't talk like that. If you love Jesus, you wouldn't talk about those sinful things that you did over the weekend. And I want you to know that he loves you. He died for your sins. And if you ever want to talk about something that really matters, something that's really important, then come to me and I'll tell you the truth about Jesus Christ. And be prepared, Yancey, to lose some friends. Be prepared for them to turn on you, to mock you, to make fun of you. Uh, It's okay. They did all those things with Jesus. And it's okay if they do that with you. Uh, We're tough enough. We can hang Uh, We can handle that. But remember, for you to hang out with people like that that you have nothing in common with any longer, um, there's simply no value. Hang out long enough to tell them about Jesus, and then they'll decide by their response whether or not they want to hang out with you anymore and find better friends. So don't feel guilty uh, because you're not saying anything, uh, just you want them saved, so uh, let them know um, that that uh, this is who you are, and while you value their friendship, you value your relationship with Jesus Christ even more. Thank you, Yancey. Here is an anonymous question from our mobile app. Um, I agree with you in regards to your answer about how the spirits of lust and cancer and anything that's out there are male I'm sorry, make-believe. Um, I say that because we don't really want to give up doing those things. Uh, we don't want to take personal responsibility for our actions, and we do that by blaming something else. These spirits are literally scapegoats uh, to our sins. I couldn't agree more with the Anonymous. Thank you for your response to the question that I had earlier. Um, you know, you, you you can't fight pink elephants because they don't exist. And... Uh, If we can find something else to blame, whether it's generational curses or the spirit of cancer, the spirit of lust, if we can blame anything other than accepting personal responsibility for our sins, well, that's a human condition, and that's exactly what we're going to do. So uh, thank you, Anonymous, for um, making that comment. I appreciate it very, very much. We're inside five minutes now for our program today. Tyler says, how can we know that the story of Lazarus and the rich man is real and not just a parable to make a point? Well, Tyler is referring to uh, Luke chapter 16, um, um, the, the the picture is we got one man who's rich and he dies on the same day as the, the beggar who's poor and one goes to paradise uh, and the other one goes to the place of torment. Um, the the reason we know it's not a parable is because God never uses names. Jesus never used his names in a parable. He didn't make up names. This is a real story. 
And uh, all you need is a solid biblical hermeneutic, uh, Tyler, to understand that. Um, If it was a parable, Jesus always let everybody know that he was speaking in parables. Um, The Bible says, and he spoke to them in parables. That is not the case in Luke chapter 16. Um, he's he's uh, telling a very important message uh, from beyond. Um, one of the things, Tyler, that I do is whenever I do a funeral of somebody that we're not sure about their salvation, or if we know that they weren't saved, I always use Luke chapter 16. The point I want to make is that if if they could talk to their loved one who died right now, uh, he or she would tell them it's real. Jesus is true. And, and I'm in torment in this place. I don't want you to come here. And they would become very effective evangelists. And that's exactly what the rich men uh, in the story tried to do. Well, we'll send him back to tell my, my brothers. And, um, and Jesus, of course, uh, said, or the parable said, no, you can't go over there. He can't come over here. Um, even if even if someone was raised from the dead, they wouldn't believe. So, Tyler, it is a real story, and we know that because there was a name mentioned in it, uh, Lazarus, the name of the beggar. Isn't it interesting? It's one thing I've never thought about until just a second. It's interesting that the rich man didn't get a name because he's dead. He's, he's in torment. And uh, the beggar, uh, who was um, mocked and pitied, uh, even abused in his lifetime, uh, he's the one that has a name, and we find him in paradise. Last question. Um, I've been sharing, it's anonymous, I've been sharing with a Mormon for a long time with no success. Is it okay to finally reach a point where I just tell them that their religion is false? Yeah, I don't know. You said for a long time. I don't know how long that is. But you probably should have told them that right at the beginning. I mean, that's that's something we lead with, not something that we just kind of throw in after the fact. Of course we tell people what they believe isn't true. Now, people get offended and they think we're being arrogant, but you know you're not being arrogant. And who cares if we're if if we offend them? That's not our purpose. God knows the motive of our, of our heart. But I think the best way to, to share with with anybody who's a member of a cult is is to just be direct with them. Um, you can't really believe the things that you believe based on any evidence at all. And the Bible, the real one tells you the real story and tell them that their religion is false. I like to tell people anonymous that if they if they claim to believe in a God, they better be right because the, the eternity hangs in the balance. It's a pretty steep price to pay. But the reality is they're obligated, they're accountable. If, if, it doesn't matter what they say is God. They're accountable to know that the God that they're serving really is God. And, of course, the evidence will point in exactly the opposite direction. So, yeah, tell them their religion is false. Tell them that you're going to keep praying for them. And tell them you're done. You're done. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And I'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. 
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.